I want to throw this quote up for you to look at. This is by uh, James uh, Adams. Perhaps it would be a good idea, fantastic as it sounds, to muffle every telephone and halt all activity for an hour someday to give people a chance to ponder for a few moments on what it is all about, why they are living, and what they really want. (laughs) Perhaps it'd be a good idea, it's kind of out there as it sounds to some of us, to muffle every telephone and halt all activity Give people a chance just to ask, like, what are you living? The question I love to ask people is, hey, how's that working for you? Whatever it is. It's become my new favorite question. Oh, cool. How is that working for you? How is that ideology, that worldview, that way, that practice, that thing, how, how is that going for you? I think in a, in a moment where self-reflection is it's in rare demand, I think often our our, our meditative practices have more to do with getting out of pain than engaging what's really happening in our hearts. Um, I thought we could take a moment and, and, and engage these words from the psalmist who says, be still, know that I am God. Be still and know that he is God. The psalmist saying, just, just quiet your heart for a moment. So I wanna take just a few seconds If you have your phone out, if you put it down, if you take notes on your phone, just put it down for a second. Muffle it. Put it under your butt. Take a deep breath with me. Be still. Just to reflect for a moment. How how are things going? Do I have what I, I want? Do I want the right things? As we close this moment, I want to invite you to do a little time travel. Go to the end of your life and look back at this moment. How's this going for you? through the psalmist. Be still. And just know that I'm God. Be still. Know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Just be.
deep breath together. And everyone said, get all riled up singing about the goodness of God and I just bum everybody out. Welcome to Sanctuary. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, more than that actually now, if you want to throw up this image of this house, um, me and a bunch of friends uh, moved into this house uh, on Daybowl Street in the, uh, in the Elmwood neighborhood in South Providence. Um, yeah, I got somebody from that here. <laughs> and um, when we first moved into this house, I was living over on Wickenden Street, and there was a wealthy business owner that I knew who was buying up a bunch of houses for his son, sort of as an investment into his son. And um, this kind of thought that this area of South Providence was going to gentrify soon. Um, and so uh, he, he bought up a bunch of property. Um, this was, or he was about to buy a bunch of properties. The first one he bought. And he said, Andrew, I know that you're doing a bunch of work. We were doing work with Reservoir Avenue Elementary School. So we are doing an after-school program and tutoring. Uh, this is before we planted Sanctuary Church. This is when we were just having a worship service down at East Greenwich. A number of us lived in the city, played in the city, were serving in the city. And uh, so we were already down there. And so a number of us had read a number of books around, about intentional living. A bunch of us had read some books about uh, what it meant uh, to, to really be engaged in the work of community development. How do you actually uh, get involved and see a community that needs resources get healthy without it gentrifying? And, and it, all these complexities, anybody who's in that world at all, whether on the policy or community organizing side of things, or maybe someone you just live in that neighborhood, you're a part of a community group there, a neighborhood group, a neighborhood association, and these are the questions that are swirling around. How do we do this? How do we do this? So an, a couple of us moved in, and there was a number of factors. One, we were just like the, 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 the romanticism. Some of you feel like, how could you have any romanticism of moving into like a really rough neighborhood, into a really rundown house? For some of us, this was like the lifestyle choice we had been waiting for. We had just read a number of books that like turned us on to this whole way of living. We are going to like live simply. It's going to be sort of like, like super, like super engaged in the community in this way. We're going to run these programs and we're going to get to know our neighbors. And it's going to be also sort of like a simple living hippie commune. We're going to have a family. We're going to have diverse folks living in the, in the, in the house. And there were different iterations of people who came through. To fast forward to the end of the story, all the dreams and hopes that we had for it, we maybe achieved, I don't know, Chris, what would you say? Like, 20% of that, maybe. Um, there were some really beautiful things that came out of it, right? But we had this whole, like, the more and more that for me, and I'll just speak for myself, the more and more I read and the more I lived in this spot and asked questions about what does it mean to, to be in this neighborhood, to love this neighborhood well, to live in this massive, this picture doesn't quite, like, show. I think it's, like, close to, I think it's, like, 2,500, 2,600 square feet. It's, like, a big house. Um, and how do, how do we do this really, really well? And so we had all these ideas. And so this general lifestyle decision of we're going to live simply, live in the neighborhood and help love and heal it, then, then had all these other things that come with it that are not in and of themselves bad, but they became like, here's like how we're always going to eat and here's how we're going to drink. Here's when we're going to do family meetings. And it's sort of taking on, depending on the personality in the house, all these interesting things. And which brings me to um, ghettochickens.com. So... Don't ever look up ghettochickens.com. By the way, it brings you to other things. 
it may not be good for your soul. <laughs> so we had this roommate who was building a garden outside, who was just, I love this neighbor, so helpful in helping our little band of brothers figure out how to love this neighborhood well in regards to how we are going to live sustainably and how, how we live, sleep, pay for things, that side of things, how that's consistent with these other ethics about serving the neighborhood. So that said, he naturally got some chickens, which at that time you weren't allowed to have in this particular neighborhood. So he built a chicken pen at first on the roof. So he had a flat part outside of his window and he built a pen and there were chickens on our roof in the middle of what is, was at least one of the rougher parts of South Providence, right? It's just a, a really just an interesting move in that particular neighborhood for a lot of reasons that I'll just spare you right now. And so my, my buddy would, would take care of these chickens. Sometimes the chickens got free. There were many times where I would get a call, like due to the chickens still in the pen. I think this was after he moved them down and they would be literally down the street. Uh, There's a couple guys across the street that I would play dominoes with really late at night. Anyone know dominoes? Ever played Demonico, dominoes, the folks in the Dominican Republic? Oh my goodness, what a game. And so they came over. I went, Do you guys, have you guys seen our chickens? And the guys just looked at me like, I was just an idiot. Like, your chickens? What is wrong with you? So we were just, we were, we were not like fitting in in some ways into the neighborhood. And so anyway, I come home one day with this, this again, this is maybe, I don't remember how long we're into this now, but this just renewed sense of like this lifestyle and how we're going to live was like starting to take on more and more ideas of what we needed to do and how we needed to run things. And so it was, we are going to, like, these, the eggs that are going to come from these chickens are what, the only eggs we're going to buy in the, you know, in the house. And then it was like, well, if we're going to eat meat, we want to eat the meat from these chickens. And so I come home, and my friend who had been keeping these chickens, who brought these chickens in, who, um, along with another roommate of ours, uh, looked to buy the domain ghettochickens.com, just so problematic on so many areas. But he, I walk into the house and um, there's blood everywhere. Yeah. There's blood, there's blood everywhere. And so he had tried to properly kill, butcher this chicken. And apparently it, the chicken wasn't into it. Chicken wasn't as easygoing as maybe he thought the chicken was going to be. I was not there for the actual butchering part of it. But we began to describe what had happened. And when we began to find like little traces of blood like under the toaster near the microwave like a week or two later. Um, it had dawned on us that some of, these, some of these rules that this particular roommate were bringing into the fold, maybe we need to pause some of this. This was getting to be a, a lot. And it was like every single week there was some new thing that we needed to do and we needed to like, to, to, in order to really live um, according to this like ideal that we had placed in our head, here are the things that we need to do. Again, so many good intention things. But it, the, the, obviously the straw that broke the camel's back of maybe we need to have a little more freedom around this was when we came home to a bloody kitchen. And at that point on, I became a vegetarian, at least for a little while. <laughs> Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There's a lot of ways to look at this passage. And I want to welcome, 
I want to encourage you for a moment to see this as a lifestyle passage. This is a passage about a number of things, but in part, when we talk about yolks, I want to talk about yolks for a minute and not the yolks that come from the eggs and chickens. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, I think most of us go, all right, I can get, I can get with that. But then when we shift to take my yoke upon you and learn from me, gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke, if you can go to the next slide. This is an, an image that hopefully comes to mind for you. If not, this is what we're talking about. This would have been a yoke. This is an agrarian first century society. And so the language around this time, the metaphors that they would use would be farming ones, be agrarian ones. And so what a yoke was, was a, a rabbi's teaching. A yoke similar to this, Two like two donkeys, oxen, who are um, have a job to do, uh, who are carrying something, who are going in a direction. Rabbis would all have, teachers would all have, at this time, day and age, they would have different yokes, and say so they use this as an image to describe, here is the way that you best understand God's word. Here's the best way you understand truth. Specifically, this is written to a Jewish context, so it was about Torah or the Old Testament, the words of God. And so when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, which sounds really clear, you got to have someone interpret that. Who's your neighbor would be the first natural question. When it says in the, the word of God, you should take a day to Sabbath and make, have it be holy, they would begin to say, well, what does that mean in our day and age? And so every kind of rabbi teacher would have a, a way of helping people make sense of this. And so what they would do is they would sort of take the main laws from Torah and then have little, you know, addendums. So here's what this looks like fleshed out. Here's what I think this means. Some argue that the Pharisees, who were like the religious elite at that time that Jesus is constantly engaging, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, that they had up to like 600 commands that they heaped on top of the Torah. Now, if this is all getting too technical for you, basically, this is a yoke is a way of seeing the world. This is, this is somebody's understanding of the best possible way to live would be one way to put it. One rabbi, one teacher, one politician, one like particular worldview. Here's how we flesh this out. You want to have the lifestyle living in the in the in the you know this particular sort of neighborhood in the inner city with these people. Here's what intentional living looks like. Here's the spirit of it, and then you begin to map on. Okay, here's what we're going to eat. Here's how we're going to eat. Here's when we're going to eat. Here's how we're going to do things. And those laws are, are are those rules are meant to be really really helpful for us. They're meant to guide us and give us examples. But what would happen and what Jesus is responding to in this passage, and we'll talk about in a second why this matters to us at all, is, is these, um, Jesus is responding to the religious leaders 
who are saying definitively, here's what it really looks like to walk in truth. Here's what it really looks like to be faithful. Here's what it really looks like. So a person who chooses to follow a specific rabbi and take on their yoke because they thought that how that rabbi was interpreting scripture, or again, in the Jewish mind, interpreting reality, this is the right way to do it. This is what God must have intended. Most rabbis were teaching the yoke of somebody else. They were passing on some other well-respected rabbi and maybe changing things a little bit here and there. And Jesus wasn't. Jesus comes in teaching a whole new yoke, a whole new way of seeing things. So he says, look, you've heard it said and interpreted this way, but I'm telling you it's this. And to be clear, it doesn't say I came to abolish anything. I'm here to show you in flesh and blood what all of that Old Testament, all the Torah, all the prophets was all about. So I want to just make the argument, and I'm going to keep using this word yoke, even though it's kind of funny. Like that we're burdened down by so many yokes. Like so many teachings. We make decisions every day about what idea, what expectation, like what way we're going to walk. And we're most often burdened by things or by yokes that even aren't our choosing. Things we just sort of get swept up in. In other words, I think most of us have a pretty solid like yoke portfolio. Some of you are like, who is this guy? Yoke, (laughs) that's my next book, Yoke Portfolio. Like different teachings, like different ways. I know that this is probably best for my mental health and this is best for my physical health. And if I do all of these things, my wife is pregnant with our third and and she starts to engage for a moment like the, the, I don't know much about this, but the the mommy blog world. Anyone know about the, the mom blog world? This is like a world, this is a place that exists. No, anybody? Some of you actually in our community, I think even have a mom blog, (laughs) right? But it's like, there's so many different ideas about so many different things you didn't even know you had to make decisions on. From, you know, what you feed your kids to breastfeeding to circumcision to everything in between, right? (laughs) It's a lot. Clearly that was a bad example for this room, but... There's so many ideas and worldviews and things thrown at you. I'm reading about, about the new, new records that came out this last week, and like I'm listening to all these artists put forth different ways. Man, if everybody like did this with crystals in this sort of way and meditated like this, like this would be the thing that would help bring you whatever it may be. But my, my, my thing with the like yoke portfolio or how we're, we're hit by the burdens of different teachings or different ways of seeing things, what I'm really interested and what I want to take like a few seconds at getting at is this. Like there are things that we don't choose that we are swept up in. There are things happening in our world. So I did as much research as I could pull together on this to try to be as accurate as possible around this really encouraging question. Get ready for it. What's making us miserable? The United States keeps dropping on the happy index. A new poll just came out. We're like down to number 18 now. And for, for, a, for a nation that in its, you know, in its bylaws, <laughs> in the Constitution, we have this sense of like the pursuit of happiness. Like it's, it's strong on the pursuit. We may still be pursuing it, but we're not, we're not getting there. 
So a couple observations that a number of people have made, and I sort of condensed this into four pieces. The loss of the American dream, or loss of the perceived understanding of the American dream told by those in power. The era of uncertainty. The loss of social support. And the onset of identity coping. Stay with me. Are you with me? Lost the, the, this perceived sense of the American dream, this idea that like hard work no longer necessarily results in security. So some of the things that people are, are, are picking up on, these expectations of what life would be that. People worry about how they'll pay for food, healthcare, rent, not having adequate financial means is well known to contribute to lower happiness, perhaps because of the chronic stress that it ends up creating. We worry something bad could happen, a health crisis, a job loss, a family member in need, or financial support. And, and then we ask the question, will we keep our health care? Will we pay for our bills? Will we have a place to live? This idea that was really flawed from the beginning, hear me, but that we can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, or maybe some of us could do that. And to be able to achieve is something that is like there is less and less trust and it's not fleshing out in reality at all, this idea or notion that if we worked hard, we could achieve anything. Two, adding to the growing levels of anxiety, which are, by the way, through the roof, and Rhode Island is one of the worst states, about finances is a new layer of anxiety about job security. By 2027, six in 10 of us are expected to have spent some time as a freelancer, a consultant, or a contractor, an independent worker. For the few of us, we are wired this way, right? It's called the gig economy. But the problem with this new economy, uh, other than that it leaves people with less money to support themselves, is the chronic anxiety and uncertainty that it generates. So freelancers who do not have access to the traditional social safety net, like healthcare benefits, retirement, are living in a state of constant um, unpredictability. And so the options that once provided predictability are, are so elusive more than ever. And the stats are overwhelming. A secure job, a cheap college, affordable health care. Um, and so we end up feeling, and the, the number of studies out there about this, about our, just basically our loss of autonomy. The belief that we can influence the direction and events that occur in our lives uh, is just dropping. And the long-term exposure to unpredictable circumstances can basically contribute to chronic stress. So these mental health related like deaths then that are actually like on the rise, alcohol disease, um, suicide, uh, are also increasing among people with a high school diploma or less. So those, those are hit hardest in the changing economy are those that don't have access to better education, which leads us, you're all feeling excited? The loss of social support. So with economic stressors then putting increasing pressure on our happiness, it is extra important that we have political social resources. But unfortunately, growing evidence suggests that we have few so fewer social resources than in times past. So when we need a friend, a romantic partner, the kindness of a stranger, these things are tough to quantify and measure for, but basically people who are studying this stuff are going, this stuff is dropping off. We're getting married later, having fewer children, or choosing to not do either. And although there are benefits to not getting married or not having children that people acknowledge, as followers of Jesus, we do not elevate marriage as sort of like the highest social standing in any way, right? But the reality is, is that because this is, again, these, none of this is like Christian sources, by the way, I'm finding. There's no like bent here towards some some particular way. They're just going, oh, as less and less people are getting married and less and less people are having kids, it's causing all these other social ripples, 
And so it's why more people are in nursing homes than ever before and aren't actually dying in people's homes as an example. Even if people feel, this one article said, even if we personally feel we are better off without marriage or children, our changing definitions of family mean that we are living in single-family homes, generally with fewer people and in many cases alone. These living arrangements live, limit our social connections. And so another reason, the big one, why we may have fewer people to turn to is our growing disinclination to participate in local community. Basically, people are volunteering way less, not involved in faith at all, they're seeing shrinking families. There's less socializing with neighbors. All of these numbers are dropping off. And so the result is that the average size of our social network has declined by a third, a third since 1985. The, just this loss of social support. I'm sharing this. I got one more, right? Because there are things and ways that we are being formed there's realities that are bigger than just choices we make that are actually shaping us. There are yokes that we choose and yokes that are put upon us that we are just, we're just in. That we have to be able to name if we're going to respond to. And the last one I find so interesting is the, the onset of identity coping. Basically, we're responding to significant stress that we face all this stuff around economics, what I just mentioned about social networks, stress, regardless of where it comes from, usually triggers us to form stronger social identities, for instance, political or religious ones, so that we can find other like-minded people, which sounds like a really good thing. But the problem is, is then you see things like violence, discrimination, and prejudice skyrocket. Basically, it's what's happening with the internet. We're becoming tribal. If I'm experiencing all this stress and I don't have the social networks, at least I'm going to go with people who think the same way. We find ourselves in like an echo chamber in social media. We find ourselves in the echo chamber of people that are just like us that we surround ourselves with. And then it becomes a world of us versus them. And so then there's all sorts of information that basically points us to this idea that when we begin to then put our full identity in things like that, it is contributing to all sorts of like stress, all sorts of anxiety. Um, it's killing us. Jim Carrey said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Perhaps one of the greatest columnists of our generation, Bernard Levin, says, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and at times noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff with it, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges, it aches. So many yokes, so many burdens. Let's be real, life is a succession of burdens. School, school. Right? Let's go back. I know we had a lot of students here, but like, like just locker room. Right? This goes back before adulthood. Like just school. <laughs> Job. Family. So let's go back to this oxen image, this yoke. 
Yes, the yoke is the teachings, but they're drawing from this image of like you carrying life, going through life, or sharing life. Why does Jesus say into an environment, into a space, into a setting, to these people who are being burdened down by religious people in this setting, and we could say just burdened down by culture, of all the options of what it means to live the good life, of what it really, if you just do this and you do this and you do this and you do this, all the things that are subtle that we don't even choose that are absolutely shaping us and almost chosen for us, into all that, Jesus offers a yoke. A yoke is a work instrument. Something to put around your shoulders, this metaphor of like this way of living. I would think Jesus would offer a mattress or a vacation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come get away with me and let's just chill together. No, but Jesus actually offers the same thing that these other rabbis are offering. If Jesus were here and he were to, to agree with this, this, this interpretation of where we are at, I think Jesus would say, no, 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 no. I'm not here to give you a rest from all of that. I mean, I am, but, but follow me. I'm going to give you like a different version of all of that. Like he came with a yoke. He comes with a work instrument. Why is Jesus offering what we might think tired workers, anybody tired? Tired people, physically or just mentally. Like he's giving them something you would think they need the least. This is the genius of what Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to deal with reality. Anybody who, who, who values like keeping it real, who values realism, who values being, just, just, just say what it is, knows that life for all of its goodness and beauty is a succession of burdens and we can't get away from that. And Jesus isn't pulling a Buddha here. I don't mean that offensively. I just mean like literally ideologically Jesus is so different. He's not offering an escape route. He's not like go into my cave, go into my cave, go into my cave. I don't experience this pain. He's a realist. He's not offering some get out of reality card. Instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Ox. My yoke is different. You're going to need something whether you let that something just sort of happen to you and you let it passively choose you, or you are proactive and six, you know, the best six things someone can do before breakfast to be successful. Like whatever it is, Jesus goes, I have something else. Take 
my yoke. Take my teaching. Take my kingdom. Take this new reality that's breaking through. This is why this word is for us, because we are told that Jesus is making all things new, and he's been inviting people for centuries, just like I'm inviting those of you in this room who haven't said yes to say yes, to say yes to this way. The good news is that Jesus is king and he's making all things new and you don't have to do anything to get into the kingdom because you've been saved by just his grace. So say yes to who he is. So some of the people that you're sitting next to have done that. And so to those people, I want to say this. If, if this passage, if like taking the yoke upon you becomes something you add into your life, you can't do it. it you will fail. It's exhausting. It's like school, job, family. And then if I just add, like, I'm gonna, oh, I got to live in community. I got to live simply. I got to make sure I know the poor. I got to, like, if it's added to the other yokes that you have, you will fail. I say that as somebody who has, still struggles with that so much. But, like, I've got my thing over here, and then I'm just adding Jesus' teachings to things. This is where the invitation to follow Jesus gets kind of radical, Jesus just isn't offering pro tips to what you're already doing. To not really change the way you view your time or change your money or change your schedule and to try to add into that following Jesus, you won't be able to do it. The easiest way is to say just yes and to change your whole lifestyle. This is a lifestyle passage in a way. Take the pattern set by Jesus's lifestyle and say, I want to live like that. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new way to carry life. You got to clear everything out and begin to just live this. And guess what will happen? Oh, sweet rest is yours. A joy and a love and a peace that transcends all understanding. A love and a peace that causes you to charge into the worst of circumstances that allows the worst of this world to come at you. But because Jesus isn't just a tack on to deal with the pain when it comes, but it's reoriented everything, there is a rest that I can just testify to. That some of the people you're sitting next to can begin to testify to. And so the best part of all this is, it, to me, is that Jesus says, like, in a sense, come alongside me. Right? This equipment that he's giving, the, you don't need, you know, a yoke like this. You need... If you just have one oxen carrying whatever it is, running the plow or carrying the people, you need two. So you have Jesus essentially saying, come alongside me, match my pace, tuck in next to me. Tuck in next to me. The yoke, one writer says, the yoke of Jesus is not just a yoke from Jesus, but also a yoke with him. It's fashioned for a pair, for a team working together. We are not yoked alone to pull the plow by our own power. We are yoked together with Jesus. Come to me. Come to me down. All who are weary, 
I will give you rest. Here's how. Take, take my way upon you. Like crawl into my skin. Come alongside me and match my stride. Tuck in next to me. Take my yoke upon you. It's light. It's light because it's true. Because you weren't meant to live in slavery. Because you weren't meant to live with the sort of confusion that comes with a thousand worldviews. Because you were meant to live free. Because you weren't meant to carry around bitterness. Because you weren't meant to carry around unforgiveness. Because you were meant to know at the depth of your being that you're loved by the God of the universe. Because you know deep down, you were meant to know that you don't need to fear death. Should I keep going? I can keep going. Would you like me to keep going? Like we could go through all those lists of things that are like apparently shaping us right now. You were meant to live in community with others. I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine who's just really like struggling with how his finances are going to work out as things are changing pretty rapidly in his family. And I just looked at him like, you have no reason to worry. And I began to just list off the people in the church and the resources around him. You don't need to worry. You were meant to live in family. You were meant to live knowing that you're going to live forever because it sets you free to step into your call, to live your day-to-day with purpose. You were meant, you were meant to know God's economy. You were meant to know that it's better to give and better to live simply and better to be with the poor. It's better. You will live freer. And I know I've said this a thousand times. And so often it's just me preaching over myself. But good God, how many more songs do we need to hear? And how many more poems? And how many more books do we need to hear about how you can have everything? And it will, it, 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 it will leave you unsatisfied and disconnected. How many more? And we think it'll be different for me. And so we still pursue. We still pursue. We pray with me, Jesus. Jesus, for, the, uh, for this entire room, the whole spectrum, doubters and cynics, Lord, and to the most faithful, to the holiest among us, the person who feels most disconnected from all of this, I would ask you, Lord, would you we believe you are still speaking, acting, moving in the world, would you speak these words, Lord, over those that need to hear it? Would you speak it? They hear the words, come to me. Brother, come to me. Sister, come to me. 
people know, Lord, your love and that you love them as you find them. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who've been trying to cram cram you sort of into a lifestyle that, that actually doesn't reflect anything that looks like you. You're like an add-on. God, I pray that in this moment, in this moment, there would be like a new moment of conversion, a new moment of baptism. Like a, a fresh start to say, no, 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 I want to become an actual apprentice of this Jesus. I want to say yes to this yoke. I'm going to take this way upon me. I'm going to place myself fully underneath Jesus' rule and reign. Oh, man. Come to me. All who've got about a thousand options of how best to live in this world. Come to me, those who are just... Come to me, those who are... don't want to stop, don't want to take a deep breath, can't handle silence anymore. Because we don't want to look in the mirror or look at the truth of things. Come to me, all those who fear they will regret the choices they are making. Come to me, all those who feel like there's just too many, too many, too many options, too many ways to think about the world. Come to me, all those who feel like there's, there's, they've, their, their path has been already just spelled out for them. There's nothing they can do. Come to me, all those who feel trapped by their recovery. Come to me, all those who are burdened and weighed down. Come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you the equipment you need to go forward. Trust me. Lord, I lift up those that that first moment of trust, like this is their moment. This is their moment, like to just say, yeah, I want to just first trust first and foremost that I am loved by God. Trust. I'm, 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 I am I'm loved and known The trust is, Paul says it in Romans, that Christ died on the cross, that he rose again. To trust that that happened and this is what is happening in the world. God making all things new and raising up a group of people to join him in that work. I pray over those that just to even begin to trust that they could touch the life of heaven now. I've struggled with this, that I can, I can actually walk in the way of heaven even amidst the worst of things. I can walk in such freedom and peace and grace even as the world is on fire. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Come to me this morning, March 3rd, 2019. 
whoever it is, come to me. Say yes, take my way upon you. Acknowledge the ways that I've held off on taking that part of your way. I can go as far as that, but I can't say yes to that. Now that's a little bit too much. Or, or I'm just confused by that and I don't know what that means, but I, I, I trust you. Oh Lord, there's like an invitation in here for every person. <laughs> Come to me. I just, I pray Lord that this day, this moment, Those that sit antsy or squeamish or disconnected, Lord, that this day and this moment would be one where everything snaps. Where there would just be a recognition of I need that sort of rest. I need the rest that comes with living the way that I was created to live. Brothers and sisters, you were created to live with Christ as your king. When Jesus says that he's the way and the truth and the life, he's saying this is the best way to live. He's saying this is, there's something about who I am that shows you, will reveal to you who you are. Do you want to be fully you and fully human and fully alive and free to experience that sort of rest? Come to me. Trust me. My burden is light. I'm gentle. I'm gentle. Come to me. Paul says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to turn. We look at his goodness and we look at his beauty and we look at those who have, who have looked to walk as faithfully as they can in the way of Jesus, who've allowed Jesus to carry and shape their priorities and shape what they do with their money and shape what they actually strive for and shape what they value, even when so much in our nation values literally anti-Jesus things. When we begin to say yes, when we begin to say yes, we find the freedom that we need. There's no more like yelling I can do to make that real. <laughs> but I say this to you, my friends and family. I think I could just stand up here kind of like yelling over myself for probably another hour or two. <laughs> like Andrew, like, come on, man. Like, trust me in this space. Like, Andrew, trust me over here. You have not taken that part of my yoke upon you and you are, there's no rest there. There's striving there. There's anxiety in that little pocket. There's not in the, there's no, there's no trust of me over here. You say you do, but there's none of that. Take my yoke upon you. Don't you want to live? Today, I just extend to anyone who's interested life and life to the full, guaranteed. G.K. Chesterton says, the way of Jesus, it's not like it's been tried and left wanting. It's that it hasn't been tried. It hasn't been stepped into. I haven't fully trusted that I am loved, redeemed, free, going to live forever, and that Jesus' way of life is the best possible way that hasn't been tried. And so today, I just want to invite you, even as we begin to sing this song, you love me as you find me. As we take the last few minutes together just to be, 
I have this, I, I don't know if there are folks in here who this is the moment they need to go down into the waters. They need to be baptized like today. Maybe this is the moment where they need to say, yeah, you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's others. You just need to come to the altar. We're not gonna take communion. So maybe you just need to come forward and just let go, like name and let go those places where you have not taken Jesus's yoke upon you. And you're like, yeah, today, today I say yes. Today I say yes all over again. Come to me, Jesus. It's come to me. That come to me maybe today is come to the altar. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if today is the day, or maybe today you've never actually said yes in a way that was in any way meaningful. You want to to, to step into that by going down into the water and being baptized. As everyone, as I pray as people come forward, come over here, pastor, a couple of our pastors and leaders will be over here in this corner and just say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And they'll walk you through a prayer in a moment. I want to be baptized. I don't want to lose this moment. I don't want to just jump to what's next. Come to me. 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 Come to me, he says. As we're in this posture of prayer, if you want to come forward, come forward. Come forward and to kneel. Come forward to sit. Just allow someone to pray over you, maybe just for you to pray and say, yeah, I want Jesus, you need to take, I need to, I need to take my yoke upon you here. Come forward. I want to be prayed for. I want to say yes to this life. I want to trust this. Come forward. Eyes are down. Eyes are closed. Heads are down. As we begin to sing, just continue to come forward. And our prayer team, if you just come around people to offer prayer. Let this be a moment in our church. Holy Spirit, would you fall? Would people see you in your fullness and all of your beauty and splendor, knowing that you have gone to the cross to die for people's sins? Lord, that you have risen again announcing a whole new way, a new kingdom that is breaking forth right here and now that we get to be a part of and to experience the eternal life of the ages. Christ's name we pray.